Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. New recording. Hello, final girl. Hello, final girl. And all the final girls out there. And final boys. And final non-binaries. All right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome. Yes, welcome. So you guys are into the groove of how this this thing works and what we like to do with this show. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, we had the great good fortune of receiving your letters. Yay. We are like the dear Abbies of the horror movie world. (laughs) Um, and they really mean a lot to us. And, um, uh, most of the folks who write letters to us are horror movie fans as well. Um, and that really, you know, forms the structure of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get letters and, um, they really mean a lot to us and invariably they will make us think of specific movies, Yay. specific final girls, um, and maybe how the lessons of those films and also our own life experiences absolutely can help other people. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing. Yep. I'm Tamara. I'm Lori. <laughs> and we are. We are your dear, dear final girls. <laughs> and what did we watch this week, Tamara? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> On the count of three. Okay. One, two, three. Scream! Scream! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the, a movie that, you know, mid-1996. Yeah, I was um, a freshman in high school. Oh, I was fin- trying to finish grad school huh? uh, at the time. Um, and Scream is a movie that turned a lot of aspects of the Final Girl concept on its head Mm -hmm. and also really turned the horror slasher pick on its head as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, we will be covering those topics. 1996, Wes Craven. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who has a cameo in the film. <laughs> Except not really a cameo. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a Stan Lee cameo where yeah. he, like, you know, shows up and... I mean, Stanley does that too, where he's like in a costume, right? Yeah, he's never pl- just playing Stanley. He's always like some guy at the corner of the boxing ring going, like, <laughs> yeah. hit him, hit him hard. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. <laughs> you call me? <laughs> well, that's what he says. So cute. So cute. Okay. Um, so, do we want to talk about. What Scream is before we get to the letters? Do we yeah. want to do the letters first? Okay, let's talk about what Scream is. Um, Wait, what did we decide? We talked about... Yes, that is, that is what we decided. Okay. To talk about it first and okay. then read the letters. We'll do it. Um, just so that we have a sort of basis. And this is a really great movie. And it so... Um, so Scream is... Goodness. Sydney. I, I almost said Sydney Blue. <laughs> that is not maybe her that name. Was, maybe that was her middle name. Yeah. I just don't know. Um, we'll get into why I almost said Sydney Blue later. Um, God, what is her last name? Did you? Prescott. Yes, Sydney Prescott. Um, Sydney Prescott is a high schooler yep. uh, who um, whose mother passed a away a year before and so it's like the one year anniversary of her mother's rape and murder yes um not just any death yeah she did brutal rape and murder yes and during the time of this one year anniversary a killer is on the loose in What's the oh, name? Gosh. Woodbot? No, it's not Woodbot. Woodvale? Wood, yeah. Woodvale, something, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it might as well be Happy Town, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Anywheresville. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so this slasher uh, killer is on the loose. He's already killed 
uh, Casey Becker and her boyfriend, Steve Orff, which you see in the opening scenes. Yeah. And And that's how the movie kicks off. I mean, that is that it throws us right into the first the first death so we don't even learn of sydney's we we haven't even been introduced to sydney Mm-mm. we haven't learned of her backstory Mm-mm. yet we are launched straight into the film's first murder within the first few minutes gosh and but it takes that first murder takes up the first like 20 minutes of the movie. I had forgotten it's a, that it's, it took that long. It's an intense scene. Well, first two murders, I guess, if yeah. you count uh, Steve, yeah, we the have, boyfriend. Yeah, we gotta count Steve. Yeah, Steve right, should be Steve. counted. Steve's, yeah. <laughs> stand up and be counted, Steve. Listening out there. <laughs> Steve Orff. Steve Orff. Um, so, and it, you mentioned as we were watching that the Casey Becker. Death is kind of like what happens when a stranger calls. The movie When a Stranger Calls. Well, a couple. It, okay. it made me think of a couple things. So let's. Um, we'll say also these kids are in high school. Right. Um, they're in high school. Um, Sydney has uh, a boyfriend named Billy. Billy Loomis. Yeah. We'll come back to that last. Billy name. Buttcut Loomis. Yeah, Billy Buttcut. Lo- You're the one who helped me. Oh God! I mean. That hair was just bothering me. Ugh. It's so greasy, um, and it's always like there's a little point on each side that's about to like poke him in the eye. Yeah, and, oh, I God. wonder if those are supposed to be like devil's horns. I don't know. I, I don't know. He is. Um, I don't know. He was greasy. I didn't like. Yeah. Him. Anyway, well, with good reason. Right. <laughs> um, so they're in high school, so we do learn a little bit of the backstory as we learn uh, Sydney and Billy have been dating for a while, mm-hmm. but with her mother's death. Um, she basically doesn't want to have sex anymore. I mean, she what he says is like, hey, you know, I feel like we're edited for television. Our, yeah, we started out hot and heavy, a yes. solid R rating on our way to NC-17. Awesome. <laughs> I, I had to write it down because it's like, yeah, oh, so gross. Everything about him is so, like, Skeevy and greasy. Skeevy is the perfect word. Ugh, yeah. Billy. Okay. So she's, I mean, okay, number one, if, if you've had a tragedy in your life, um, it is going to really shift your perspective. Yeah. And it is going to shift, um, you know, what you do and how you think mm-hmm. and how you are and how you walk through life. And she's got a, a lot that she's dealing with. And, and her mom was raped and murdered yes and her boyfriend is like hey why are you having a problem with us having sex i don't understand it yeah and why aren't you you know she she explains to him like hey i think you know part of the reason i'm this way is that i don't i don't she knows the room her mother there are rumors surrounding mm-hmm, her mother mm-hmm. so the rumors surrounding her mother are basically that she is sleeping with like every guy in town mm-hmm. she is I, we're going to use the words here that she's like a slut yeah um <clears throat> And, you know, it's not something that Sydney wants to believe, but you can tell even from early on, she, she's already wrestling with the fact right. that it may, in fact, be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of her, her reasoning is, you know, like, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to turn out like my mother. Right. You know, I don't want to be, you know, whether, whether she actually just doesn't want to be having all the sex or doesn't want to be the the girl who people are looking at and talking about mm-hmm. and you're that girl you're the promiscuous girl mm-hmm. you're the girl who's sleeping with everybody mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's you know this the this the um the basic story there but back Tamara to you we started to talk about the opening scenes of the film so we don't start with Sydney we start with Casey Becker. Casey Becker. Mm-hmm. She's at home. She is starting some jiffy pop on the yeah. stove. Um, A little tinfoil action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody calls her house. Yep. And it's this caller 
do you like scary movies is what he asks her, correct? Yep. She hangs up on him a couple times because she's like, oh, okay, like, dude, leave me alone. All right, you got the wrong number. Like, now I'm not interested in talking to you. You're starting to flirt with me. Uh Got the wrong number, got a boyfriend. Yeah, leave me alone, jerk. Mm -hmm. Then it intensifies. The calls keep coming. Yes, the calls keep coming, and then he talks about which door, he asks her which door I'm at, all of that sort of stuff, Um, and then eventually breaks in, oh, after he's eviscerated Steve. The boyfriend. Yeah. We we assume he, because the voice on the phone is male. Right. um, And then... The, like, the culmination of this death really is that her parents come home. She's very nearly rescued, right? Yeah. Her parents come home, and then the killer gets her, starts to kill her. She's still on the phone. Mom picks up the phone because there's a... We don't care about spoilers, right? No. No, okay. No. Fuck spoilers. Um, I don't personally <laughs> believe in spoilers. I don't either. Um, I mean, come like, on. It's, it's still awesome, even if you know what's going to happen. Exactly. Like, you're going to still have the catharsis. Yeah. Um, but Casey Becker's death is so uh, intense because mom and dad are there. They're so close. Mom can hear Casey, like, kind of whimpering, death whimper. As she's being dragged out to this tree where the kill her, the the kill her, the the killer killer. strings her up and like there's a steaming pile of guts on the ground. That's like incredibly graphic. More graphic, I think, than any of the rest of the movie is. I, I, I was just thinking that there's none, there are none of the other deaths that are that graphic. And I'm actually, well, I mean, they're disturbing. They're, they're definitely disturbing. And we'll talk about yeah. like, each one of the deaths. Definitely disturbing. Um, but this call just really sets a tone from the very beginning. Um, the, the intensity of the caller escalates. Mm-hmm. He's letting her know. I can see you. Where am I? Mm-hmm. So what started out as just what seemed like wrong number prank, um, he starts to ask her before things turn really dark, like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Um, and she's like, I'm going to be watching a movie. Like, oh, what what kind of is it? You know, what kind, what kind of movie are you going to watch? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, probably just some horror movie. And this also sets the stage for the fact that this movie is also about horror mm-hmm. films, which we'll, we'll talk more about as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> her knowledge of horror films it's good um, is she good. She did better than I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Her knowledge of horror films um, keeps her alive for a little while, keeps right. her boyfriend alive for a little while, and then it doesn't because she starts. He keeps asking her questions. Mm-hmm. He asks her first about Halloween. She gets that right. Then he asks her about, well, who's the killer in Friday the 13th? And she says, Jason. It's like, nope. It was right. Mrs. Voorhees. It was Jason's mom. And so the the punishment for the wrong answer is that Steve dies. Mm-hmm. She becomes the target. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> After that really first intense scene um, is when we meet, is when we meet all of the rest of the characters we meet. What they're like I feel like there are trucks going by yeah. all around us. Okay. I and I just watched they're Maximum circling the Overdrive. Wa- yeah, we both circling did. the wagons. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> so um so before we get into the um more of the um the the um plot around Sydney and the plot around horror movies themselves, mm-hmm. some well, some referential, some horror referential stuff yeah. in the beginning. So, like you mentioned, you know, it, it's there's a whole babysitter or teenager at home alone starting. Yeah, to the get calls, calls coming from inside the house, sort of thing. Yeah, so that's when a stranger calls. Um, another one of the big things is that Scream did what Psycho did. Um, what fifty six years prior or <laughs> so I'm, I'm bad at math but right. 1960 um 30 years out 30 oh that's right I'm just <laughs> all right it's okay. it's hopefully okay. nobody calls me um, and I have to solve math problems in order to stay alive. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Recite the Pythagorean theorem. I am glad that you know that. I would not have been I able will. to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what made Psycho really interesting is that you had this, you know, attractive, popular um, female star, Janet Lee. Everyone assumed that she was going to be the protagonist of the film, um, that we would see her throughout the entire film. And in the beginning, she's, I mean, it's her murder that sets off the rest, you know, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. So very similar with Scream. You know, Drew Barrymore was, do you think she was probably the most sort of popular of all of those actors at the time? Or had Nev Campbell, were they similar? Or Well, no, remember. because then Courtney Cox is there. There's oh, my gosh, so Cox, many yeah. Really, and and Tatum's character, which is Rose, Rose McGowan, McGowan. Yeah. all of those women were very, if not very popular, they were reasonably popular in their own right. Yeah, at that point. So, but we definitely didn't expect Drew to get killed off from the very oh, no, beginning. No. She was prominent in the poster, uh-huh. and so I think you know, you would try to take yourself back to a viewer in nineteen ninety six, and it was like, holy fuck. What is Where are they going to go now? Exactly. Where are they going to go? <laughs> and they spent 20 minutes on it. So yeah. you sh- you would think, my God, like, why would they kill off the main character? But, right. Yeah. What could possibly happen? And a lot. A lot. Yeah. Um, so do we want to talk more about the development? We, kind of, we want to talk about a little bit more about plot development, about horror movies as a subject of the film. Before we get into our letter, or? Uh, we had two I letters. Mean, we could go, yeah, we could go both ways. Let's talk about both of those letters, because I think that they, that unless you want to talk about horror movies, let's talk about horror movies as a subject first, okay. and then, because I think that a lot of those other themes have to do with what's going on in the letters. I mean, that's why we chose this film. That is definitely true. For those letters. Yeah. So, um, we've, the, 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 one of the primary ways that horror films become, um, a part of the horror movies themselves and their conventions, like Mm -hmm. the final girl convention, um, become a subject of the film is through the character Randy, Randy yeah. Meeks. Mm-hmm. Um, he works at a video store. So awesome. I miss video stores. I know. <laughs> and so there's a scene where he's actually in the video store that he works at, and he's got like these big, you know, brick video you know those cases oh my god cases yeah we're not environmentally conscious (laughs) at all but he's basically the one okay he's one of the primary characters who talks about horror films what happens in horror films Mm -hmm. don't you know that in a horror film you're never supposed to do this you're Mm -hmm. never supposed to say this Mm -hmm. don't leave a room and say you're going to be right back Mm -hmm. because you're not is the killer really dead? Um, but not he's not the only character who does it. Sydney does it as well. So when she is targeted by the caller, and mm-hmm. we learn that this caller is Ghostface. Ghostface mm-hmm. is like the Michael Jason Freddy, whatever, of, right, this, right, right. of yeah. this movie. Um, he calls her. Um, again, she just thinks, hey, prank, whatever, like, dude, let me alone, you're bothering me. Um, it's, call starts to escalate again, mm-hmm. just like it did with, what's her Casey. name? Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start talking, she says, oh, hey, like, look, I'm not some stupid you know, I'm not some stupid girl in a right. horror movie. You know the one who, like, always, like, runs upstairs when she should be running out the front door? Like, no, I mean, I'm, like, smarter than that. Mm-hmm. So, we get it through Sydney as well. Yeah, there's a there's a thread running through this, like... And you mentioned this in the context of them feeling... Um, so self-aware that these teenagers are so cool and so self-aware but I think because they are in the context of a horror film and they 
they have a lot of horror knowledge. Yeah. They themselves have a lot of knowledge about horror films, like they, like this group kind of spends time doing that. Um, yeah. Sydney, Billy, Tatum, Stu, who is Matthew Lillard's character, um, and is kind of like the goofy class clown. And he really, gosh, I love Stu's character because he really like the scene at the end where he has been stabbed he's like my mom is gonna be so mad at me (laughs) i'm sorry i'm jumping in but i love that guy but they (laughs) the killers killers Mm -hmm. ghost face the two guys that are ghost face use the horror movies that they've watched to help them plan the deaths yes. of Casey, Steve, and they hope Sydney. Yeah, yeah, because she's 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 really like their culminating target. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're just like you know they enjoy killing and they're practicing or whatever, but no, I think they plan. They plan to kill her. On the one-year anniversary mm-hmm. of her mother's death, and we learn that the reason is because Sydney's mother, who was in fact promiscuous, had slept with Billy's fa- Billy's father, mm-hmm. and it caused Billy's mother to leave. Mm-hmm. And so we learn like that was his mo. Mm-hmm. That was his his mo, and then I guess he just wanted to kill people and killed other anyway. But you know. Right. So, um, but wait, didn't, am I, am I wrong in thinking that he also killed Sydney's mother? He did. And framed Cotton Weary? Yes, he did. So he, so his first revenge killing was of Sydney's mother because she had essentially broken up his family. And Stu or Randy mentions that Billy had dated Casey Becker before she started dating Steve. Okay, yeah. So then there's, like, there's that. So basically, Billy's just killing anyone who's ever hurt him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, that's right. And we also learn, so, hmm... Where do we go from here if we stick with kind of... Okay, the horror movie theme stuff. the How, how it's in there. Mm-hmm. So they talk about the structure of horror movies and how they work and how characters behave. Right. And how they're so much smarter than that. They, they lay down that foundation right. through, throughout the movie in a number of different characters. We know how this works. We know how this works. And we're not going to do those things. <laughs> right. We're smarter. We're or... smart. We're, la- we're late 90s people. Mm-hmm. We got it figured out. We gel our... We have butt haircuts and we're better than you. So... Um, and then there's also just all kinds of fun things yeah. for anybody who is a fan of horror films. Um, so I, I'll just rattle off. Yeah. I'll just rattle off some of them. So we talk, so Wes Craven is actually in this movie. Um, he's a director and writer. Uh, no, he's not the writer. Kevin Williamson is the writer. He's a director. Um, but there's a scene that takes place at the school. The principal, played by Henry Weekler, uh, the Fonz <laughs> from Happy Days. Right. Um, he's in his office. He's hearing some commotion in the hallway. Turns out it's the janitor. Janitor is played by Wes Craven. Janitor looks like Freddie has on the striped T-shirt and the hat, and his name is Fred. Yeah. So, <laughs> that was awesome. That's so great. That was so awesome. Great. So we've got that. And there's parts where, oh, like the the sheriff. The sheriff, the sheriff. The sheriff. He was in other movies. Yeah, he was in Friday the 13th or... Uh, Town that was he in the town? No, mm, we wrote it down. No, I can't remember. Yeah, but he's had definitely. I definitely been, looked it up, anyways. Yeah, he had definitely been in other horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda Blair of Exorcist fame right. is a very small cameo. She's one of the reporters who are like jockeying outside the school, mm-hmm. outside of the high school where all the kids attend. 
um, you know, there's a lot of sensationalism around the crimes, and so they're there. Very small role, but cool. Right. There's a point where Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. um, who is an, another newswoman, mm-hmm. um, she looks, she's holding a gun, and she's she's got the haircut that looks like, you pointed this out, and I'm just repeating this, you want to say, no, she's got this haircut that looks like Clarice Starling from um, and, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. And... God, there's just so many things. Yeah, there's a couple other things. So, um <clears throat> there's multiple there's multiple references to the film to John Car- Carpenter's 78 film Halloween. Mm-hmm. To the character of Laurie Strode, to Jamie Lee Curtis herself, and how she started out as a scream queen. As uh-huh. a matter of fact, he even um um Randy talks because all okay they're all watching Halloween there's a party toward at the end toward the end of the film right. where a lot of the like the climactic action of the film goes down but they're all there together they're watching Halloween the <laughs> the people are like show your tits show your tits you know they want to see the final girl uh, the distressed final girl bare breasted right you know, it's yeah. just sort of a common thing um, and Randy makes it a point of saying like no mm-hmm. you know she didn't show her tits until she went legit. So he's saying that <laughs> all of these early screen, scream queen roles that Jamie Lee had, she wasn't naked. She didn't get naked until what? What did he say? Trading spaces? Yeah. Or trading trading places? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trading spaces is like the HGTV show. <laughs> that would be weird if. <laughs> yes. It just cuts to Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so. I like how the this movie also turns that sort of sex and virginity trope on its head because yeah. Billy eventually do, or Sydney eventually does have sex with Billy yes. and she does it willingly and it's her choice. We never see her tits. No, no um, they're hidden. Although Billy gets a shot like. She's like, would you settle for a PG-13 relationship? And she, like, flashes him as... And he's like, you're such a tease or something like that, right? (laughs) Um, But then at the end, while Randy is talking about the upcoming tits scene in Halloween when one of um, Laurie Strode's friends you see her boobs there's this cut with randy speaking over it there's a cut to sydney and she's got this like white lacy bra on but billy moves into the shot in front of her boobs right as her bra is coming off so we never see sydney's boobs yeah we never see we never see her boobs um, but this is like, okay, so, so the fact that Sydney has decided to have sex and it, it, it's important in a couple of ways. Number one, it's a variation on the, okay, number one, it's very much a, a, a part of the plot. She has made this decision sort of not to because she's grieving over her mother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just like, that's just like the last thing on her mind. So in terms of plot, she's making a very specific decision and it's a very specific deviation from the traditional final girl who is virginal, doesn't have sex. Right. It is because she's virginal and it is because she maintains that purity that she is the one who survives while all our pot smoking fornicating friends are out, you know, having fun, but then ultimately getting murdered. So. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, so her grief and the decisions that it drives her to make, uh, probably a good time to talk about our first letter. Yeah, absolutely. You, you read them. Okay. You read right. the letters. You want to do both of them? Uh, let me do. I'll do one. Okay. And cool. Then you do the other. So. Um, We got a letter from Marie um, Herding in Helen, Georgia. Hmm. Um, She says, Dear Final Girl, in a few weeks I'll be celebrating my 40th birthday, and it's my first birthday that my mother won't be there to call me in the morning. She passed away recently, and I'm still learning to get my feet under me without her. Do you have any suggestions? 
Mm. Mm. Uh, sorry for your loss. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And this was part of the reasons that we decided to talk about Scream. Yeah. Is having that sort of anniversary and milestone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the... So she ends her letter, got any suggestions, Mm -hmm. okay? I think that we've got a few things that we wanted to to kind of talk about Mm -hmm. that might be in the realm of suggestions. The first couple things I just wanted to say is that you know there's there's really almost nothing that someone can say to solve you know to yeah. solve the pain mm-hmm. um it and especially after just you know with Marie like just one year it was just one year ago that her mother died mm-hmm. um i mean this this is when something like this happens to you this is something that will always be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, um, you know, with Marie asking for suggestions, one of the first things that came to mind is just that, like, well, she did one of the most important things, which is reaching out. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a, there's a, she's lonely. She's lonely. Her mother is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a milestone. And attached to that milestone is, like, a tradition Right. Um, that she that she had with her mother. Her mother would always call her, mm-hmm. and so you're not just losing the the person. You're losing every. You're losing a future with that person, mm-hmm. and you're losing all of the things you know, the rituals, the the you know this the fun times, the Mm -hmm. specific traditions you had with one another and the spontaneous stuff. You're just, you're, you've, that's gone. Yeah. There's a hole where all of that used to be. Yeah. And in that hole, you find your grief sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, so I will offer this, so you know this about me. So my, this letter got to me for sure, because I actually lost my mother in high school as mm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't, she, she had cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew that she was going to die, um, but it happened pretty quickly. I mean, the amount of time between when she was diagnosed and when she died was it was just like a matter of a few months right um and they're really <laughs> you just um you have people around you who are your safe people mm-hmm. we've talked before about how that's not always family mm-hmm. um i would say there were some people in my family i could turn to probably marie that's the case with you we don't know marie we don't know marie if you're what your relationship is with your father but um you know i leaned on my friends a lot and i mean the fact of the matter is is i was just really fucked up for a very long period of time mm-hmm. um because um, two years after that, my dad died as well. Mm. And so I'm almost 50 years old now. It's taken me my entire adult life to get, I don't even want to say get over it, but it's been, it's taken me my entire adult life to, for every day to not just be like a walking tragedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a very pessimistic, <laughs> but it's reality. It's, it's reality. And, and you can't make grief be over any faster than it's, it's going right. to be. I mean, that is just a process that is, it's bigger than all of us. And I think that in the film, um, Sydney is very aware of that. Yeah. And Billy at one point says, well, I lost my mom. When my mom left my dad, it 
hurt, but I got over it. And Sydney makes a point to say, you're equating two very different things that my mom didn't just move across town. She's not here anymore. Yeah. And Billy kind of walks back and is like, oh yeah, okay, I'm sorry. But you know that at least at that point, whether or not Billy is the killer and we're halfway through the movie, hopefully you know that Billy is not the right person for her. Right. Like this guy doesn't get it. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. And he has no empathy for your situation. And then, so then all of the actions that she takes to try and get back with him, you're like, no, don't do it. He's like, it doesn't matter. Like, don't have sex with him. He's a jerk. Yeah, we don't even know he's a killer yet. Just, yeah. like, don't have sex with that douche guy. Right, you know? exactly. And I think part of that is sort of the high school mentality yeah. where it's like... Peer pr- they even talk about peer pressure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Which was huge in the late 90s. Yes. I mean, is that ever not? I mean, but was it, was it, it particularly... Was a, it was a really big deal for adults to talk about peer pressure. Don't why succumb did that, to peer why pressure. Why did that? Why, why did that? Dare, Nancy Reagan. That's what Post I thought. Reagan. And probably like tip when did the Tipper Gore? Oh yeah, that was thing uh-huh, come in? uh-huh. That was it was the Clinton administration. This was just at the beginning of the Clinton administration. That's right. So Tipper Gore was at what and I think was, right? There I don't know if they're doing anyway, at the time she was the wife of Al Gore, who was Bill Clinton's vice president. Mm-hmm. She launched she's the one who is responsible for the parental advisory label. Yeah. Basically being on on music, right? Yeah. Is yeah. It, it's music, right? Yeah. Mainly music. Mm-hmm. Because there was a lot at the time about, like, music is this really negative influence. There are these, like, metal bands out there. And kids are saying that this music is driving them to do... Driving them to commit violent acts, driving them to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And so this was the, the, the parental advisory label on music. And I think somewhere in there, the the sort of satanic panic was mm-hmm. happening like in the early 90s and so they yep. were trying to save children and like save their innocence and um how did we get on this i don't, I don't know but maybe that's where part of the jadedness comes in oh, where kids yeah. peer know pressure, peer pressure right, peer right, right pressure and kids know like kids know mm-hmm the, the, this isn't going to stop anything that probably wasn't already going to happen. Right. If you slap a label on a, at the time, CD, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, kids are just going to want to buy it more. Right. Um, Just like the the solid R rating on our way to NC-17. Like, Billy wants that, you know? Yeah. And even Sydney says, oh, I would settle for... I wish my life were a Meg Ryan movie. Billy says, it's all one big movie. And she's like, I wish my life were a Meg Ryan movie. Which is the second time Meg Ryan is referenced in this movie. Yeah, she was Um, so huge back then. And, but she says, well, I'd settle for even a good porno. And that, and Billy's like, good? (laughs) Really? And, you know, with good reason, because uh, it happened. But, yeah, she right. decides to have sex with him right after that. But I think, um, you know, the reason that we started talking about this is that Sydney is aware of her grief. She's aware of how that grief may be affecting her behavior with Billy. And she's kind of... She's ready to sort of say, okay, well, maybe Billy is right. Maybe I am allowing this grief to affect my behavior too much. But she, Sydney is more self-aware or is sort of like, I think part of the reason that she survives and that she is the final girl is her own awareness of her own feelings and her own awareness, even of her own fear. Like there's the bathroom scene 
where oh, yeah. the girls are talking about her and saying that it's all just an an, an attention-getting device. Right. And she feels scared when she's in the bathroom by herself. And it's that she doesn't trust her own fear in that one little section that gets her in trouble. Yeah, that's right. She That's doesn't right. listen to her own fear, and then she has to outrun Ghostface. Yeah. And it is, so, it is so hard to listen to and hear and maintain that connection with your inner voice, even under the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then you add, you know, multiple traumatic, you know, even one traumatic event, but you add specific traumatic events on top of that. Mm-hmm. And it is just, it is very difficult. Um, to, um, that's my alarm. It doesn't mean anything. Um, what does it say? Hello, it's it says 3.30. alarm. <laughs> um, so it's, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that came to mind is like this whole di idea of scripts, right? So I'll, there's like several ideas that are kind of coming together. It's like we've got this movie. It's about movies. Um, we've got the topic of grief in the film. And then, of course, from um, from Marie, who wrote one of our letters this week. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to respond? Mm -hmm. What do I do now? Is it, is it, is my grief going on too long? Am I supposed to be over this? It's like, these are part of like the scripts of our life, of our mm -hmm. lives. And I think the main thing that I want to say about that is that we all know, like when something bad happens and it's a situation where people draw close to you. They draw around you in support. Mm -hmm. And um, some people are naturally going to fall away. And that's okay. That's okay. A death is not... There's no rule that a death is supposed to make some sort of permanent change <laughs> right. in relationships that maybe were already t tangential. Okay. Uh -huh. Um, you're, you're gonna have, um, I hope, I hope anybody else in this situation, you have at least one person, um, that is the one who really remains, mm -hmm. um, who really, who is, is the consistent source of support. Yeah, touchstone. Touchstone. That's a good, and I think that there seems to be... Uh, in, in our society, there seems to be like some sort of statute of limitations on grief and how long something is supposed to bother you. It's kind of like what Billy says in the film. Well, it's been a year. Aren't you over it? Like, the, <laughs> you know, come on. It's been a year since your mother died. Yeah, you was know. brutally raped and murdered. Yeah. That I on. may or may not have done. Yeah, um, and did. Yeah. <laughs> So it, there's there's like this there's like this unspoken statute of limitations. Over time, people can become less empathetic with your ability to move on, to get over it, to build a life that is about something other than than the coping and the struggling. And I mean, that's just all. BS, you know. Yeah, that's their problem. That's their problem. Yeah, Billy's their problem. inability, <laughs> inability, In Billy inability. <laughs> um, his inability to understand that this is like a very serious traumatic event that can take a lifetime. It kind of comes off as like, well, he's just a teenager, but also I think it's a clue to us of his narcissism and his uh, psychopathy, his lack of empathy, um, psychopathy. Yeah. Psychopathy. I, I like. Um, I mm. like that. <laughs> um, but it's also, I think, on a larger scale, if if you sort of zoom out and talk about this thematically, like. 
you pointed out, Lori, when we were watching this movie together, that Sydney lives in this beautiful house with like pristine wallpaper. This God, the late nineties with their wallpaper, <laughs> but that with a literal white picket fence yep. around Sydney's house, and so everybody thinks that she's supposed to be this ideal student and this ideal woman, this ideal girl, right? And same thing with uh, Casey Becker. She, Mm -hmm. like, lives in this beautiful house, and she's got the boyfriend with the letter jacket. My boyfriend's a a football player. He's he's going to come here and kick kick the shit. Yeah, (laughs) he'll kick your ass, right? And what... What both Sydney and Casey fall into is sort of that expectation of females that we will listen to someone and we will put up with the bullshit on the phone. Even somebody toying with us and, you know, like I kept saying... God, Casey, she has such patience with ghost ghost face on the phone. (laughs) Sydney has such patience with this guy with ghost face on the phone that they're afraid of being a bitch and just saying, get the fuck out of here. I'm calling the police. Yeah. And... Now, Casey eventually does. Like, she's... You know, but still, and 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 Sydney eventually does too. But just, and calls his bluff. Yeah, and calls. Yeah, and says that, and says that she's doing it. But yeah, it's just, it's it's ex- expectations around. And I hope I'm not take. Do you do you want to? Is there? I don't want to steal your point. No, but that I mean the expectation yeah. of of the ideal versus trusting your own instincts. Yeah. So. You know, part of what makes Sydney that final girl is she trusts her instincts and she calls his bluff and she fights back and, you know, goes. Even she runs upstairs when she knows that's what she's not supposed to do. And when she even says that's like, oh, of course, you don't do that. You run right. out the front door. Yeah, but sometimes you got to run up. But her sometimes. room was the safe room. Like right. she knew oh, that she could. Point. Um, lock him out of her room and then dial up 911 with the modem. On her, fu- oh, on her computer. So great. With her little it's... pixelated, oh my god, yeah. It's so great. Nine, late 90s technology. Mm-hmm. Kids, like the, the green real. writing on the black screen. Yeah. <laughs> so great. I can't, can you imagine like getting in touch with 911 on your computer. I mean, yes, but that you just would But call. also, so there, there's like the three-minute delay of that dial-up modem where it's like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess she was already online because she was doing... True, true, yeah, whatever. Or no, well, she was already online two nights ago when she was doing homework and Billy crawled in her room. Anyways, um... So, um, we talked about, so actually I think what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take, uh, a short break. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we don't know what music we're going to play for you yet, but there's going to be music. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back with our second letter in just a minute. Beep, 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 wing. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. See what and we're back. We are back with um, our second letter. Yeah, with our second letter. And you, you want to do this one? No, too? you read it. You want me to? Okay. So, um, dear final girl, I need your help. I broke up with my boyfriend a month ago, and it was not a second too soon. He cheated on me multiple times, and I wanted to give him the chance to redeem himself, but he only continued his bad behavior. I'm glad I'm not with him anymore, and I'm ready to start dating again. But he really fucked me up, and she's she's so cute. Pardon my swears. It's okay. (laughs) Uh, And I'm having a hard time even getting to know anyone. How do I get over the hurt? And this is from Fran, happy but heartbroken in California. Mm. So thank you. Thank you, Fran, very much for writing us. And it was another reason why we wanted to do screen this week. Yeah, and I think that um, 
What really stood out to me about this is that you're part of the reason that we hurt so much when somebody has betrayed us is that we have been vulnerable yeah. and somebody has broken that trust. And so now that sort of closeness and connection is really hard to get back to because we don't want to necessarily be vulnerable again. Yeah. That, um, that vulnerability is we feel like that vulnerability is what got us hurt yeah but it's not it's not your fault that you were vulnerable mm -hmm. you were actually so strong because you were able to be vulnerable yeah and so knowing that showing showing that vulnerability is a strength is something that is really hard to kind of wrap your head around. But if you think about Sydney, the final girl in Scream, part of her grieving process and getting over this is showing that vulnerability. And it's you know, in true horror film fashion, um, her vulnerability is going out and willingly having sex with Billy. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm stronger because I'm going to do this thing that you want me to do. You're smiling. No, Let's, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. but, and she, she calls his, she Literally, she calls his bluff over and over and over again. She doesn't realize that she's calling Billy's bluff when no. she says to Ghostface, I call your bluff. Yeah. You say you're on my front porch. You're not. What am I doing right now? Right. And, and he she's doesn't answer her. her. She's, she's taking, taking her, her finger up her nose. It's <laughs> so awesome. Uh, that's <laughs> such a badass move. Because when does the when does the final girl ever be like, all right. Hey, bro. Yeah. I call your bluff. Yeah. So she calls his bluff then. She calls his bluff when she's like, yeah, like I wish I would settle for a porno, you know? <laughs> and he's like, oh, really? Okay. And he, if he has sex with her, um, and like that sort of vulnerability, we don't see it as vulnerability in Scream. We see it as strength. Yes. And the thing is, you know, really, it seems like the only person that is continuing to tap into her, uns who, who's kind of keeps shaking the ground beneath her is Billy. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see her with her interactions with her friends, with like the principal, the police, mm -hmm. even her own father, she's, she, she is, she is doing a damn good job of surviving. Right. Billy is the one who keeps destabilizing mm -hmm. her or contributing, you know, and well, I mean, and ultimately, I mean, he's trying to kill her. Okay. That's a big one, you know, but right. we don't, we don't know that. Um, but yeah. And I think that, you know, you made the point of like, we vulnerability. I mean, I think it, it is difficult for anybody to see vulnerability, their own vulnerability as a strength. Mm -hmm. Because usually the only, t usually when we are thinking about vulnerability the most is when we have been hurt mm -hmm. and we're very, we're very consumed by that hurt. Mm -hmm. And we are wanting to protect ourselves and make sure that that kind of hurt doesn't happen again. So we're driven often to take certain actions, you know, kind of like our first letter with, mm -hmm. with Marie. Um, 
Um, but also, you know, with um, with Fran as well. Like, uh, what I, I love is that she signs it happy, happy but heartbroken. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, that that's a final girl for you. Way Fuck to yeah. go, Fran. Fuck yeah, you know. Both. She's... <laughs> it is both. <laughs> right. It is both realities. Right. And you can be both things at once. Yeah. You can have that dual reality. Um... And remember when you, you asked me a minute ago, why was I about to laugh? Yeah. I am... I have not prepared you for this. Uh-oh. I'm about to drop some shit on you that I didn't even know I was going to drop. Oh, shit. After the the week that my mom died, uh-huh. and we knew that she was going to die right. mm-hmm. because the nurse told us. I mean, this is, she's in her last days. Right. I made a specific decision that week to have sex. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I am just remembering this. Oh, shit. I am just remembering this. Uh, We can talk about this more on other episodes because I know it's kind of late in the game to be introducing this new plot twist. Yeah. (laughs) But I had been very afraid of sex. I was Uh 17 years old. I was afraid of it. I was born to... Teenage parents, mm-hmm. uh, very young. My mother was extremely young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was some kind of, you know, narrative around me not growing up that way. Mm-hmm. Me, not, I don't want to be like my mother. I don't want to be like Jesus. my mom. I don't oh. want to get. Um, I didn't even think about any of this part of it. I can't even <laughs> you were Sydney it. Prescott. Oh my god, I am. <laughs> so I decided. That week, um, there was a guy who was kind of, like, hanging around, and Mm -hmm. it was somebody that I had liked, and we went to the movies together, and it was, like, that pivotal moment of whether he was going to take me home, and I'm like, you know, I don't want to go home, and I had kind of made this decision, like, I want to go further, Uh and it's kind of, well, I won't get into the details, but (laughs) anyway, but I made a very specific decision Um, when all that was happening that like, well, I'm going to do this thing. And maybe that was part of, it was fear, you know, part of it with Sydney is the fear too. It's Mm -hmm. like, I've been afraid to do this and I've got these other things that are outside of my control right now. All this bad shit happened to me. It's still happening to me. You know, whether it's an anniversary or you're like on, you know, it's like something that's someone you love is in an active dying process. You're, it's almost kind of like a, oh yeah, well then I can't control any of that, but I'm going to do this other thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this other thing that I have control over. Right. And oh my God. Sorry to lay that. No, it's okay. Digging out your, digging out your psyche. That's okay. okay. But I mean, that, I mean, this is where. Wes, uh, this is, uh, I want to give it to Wes Craven, but it's not him. He's not the writer. I don't know. Kevin Williamson. Kevin yeah. Williamson, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like, he, all, uh, horror is real life amplified. Mm, and it's yeah. that nothing, nothing is as scary as in real life. As these fucking, you know, slasher ghost face running around. But what's so great about this movie is that ghost face, you kept pointing this out, Laurie, ghost ghost face is almost comic. He is. He's like googly and like, maybe it's the the Grim Reaper outfit. Maybe it's Stu. I know, the sparkles. And maybe it's Stu who's kind of googly in his own right and like, I'll be back. And the tongue lolling out of his mouth. Um, But I think that, you know, yeah, so much of it is control. Billy is Billy wants to be Ghostface. He wants to do this because he wants control over the situation. And Sydney sort of like walks into willingly having sex and and even going to this party that she knew she didn't want to go to right because all this shit is happening. But she's like, well, 
damn it, I'm going to have some control. Yeah. And I'm not saying, gosh, I'm not saying, Fran, that you need to, uh, in order to be a final girl, you need to, like, go out and willingly put yourself in dangerous situations. Yeah, definitely not. But that you need to understand that you have had some control. You've taken the steps. You are strong because, look, like, what does she say? I broke up with my boyfriend and it was not a second too soon. Yeah, she, yeah. So you, you've got the things. You've, you've, vo- you've made yourself vulnerable to this whole change. Yeah, you def- yeah she definitely has... And I think that, like, the last thing that she says in her, asks in her letter is, like, how do I get over the hurt? We're, we're never going to tell anybody or suggest that there's some sort of, like, silver bullet for pain. Uh, there is, definitely isn't. But, um, you, you certainly don't have to rush into your next relationship. Mm-mm. There's there's no clock ticking that says, okay, by this time you need to be ready to like put yourself out there Mm-mm. again. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm guessing and I hope that you have other people in your life, family, friends, a combination, coworkers, mm-hmm. that like we get we get to practice our vulnerability with a lot of different people in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you're not ready to put yourself out there in a romantic relationship again, but I bet some situation is gonna come up where you decide, oh, you know, I'm gonna share that with this friend of mine, or I'm gonna tell, you know, my dad, you know, hey, you know, you did this thing and, you know, I wish it hadn't done that, or just, you, you know, right, you right. can, it doesn't have to to be one answer. I mean, I feel like we kind of keep coming back to that. Yeah. In terms of what survival yeah. is about. That that um survival is incremental and yeah. that it is daily, especially when these big things happen in your life. Mm-hmm. Um for both Marie and Fran, like that your strength is how you define it. Right. It doesn't have to be how uh, how Billy defines it. Just because Billy's timeline is a year and you should be over it because he is, doesn't, like, you, you have that you know yourself you know your instincts so trust your instincts yeah if the bathroom feels scary fucking leave the bathroom you know (laughs) because maybe Ghostface is in that stall yeah absolutely (laughs) and you know what also and Fran didn't say this um but don't be afraid to be the bitch don't be afraid to hang up the phone. Don't be afraid to say I'm not ready to be vulnerable. Yep. Yep. And that's not even and you know, and then that's not even in and of itself being a bitch, you know. I mean, people may try to tell us that. People may right, try to right. tell us that oh well, you know, a certain level of assertiveness forcefulness, certain boundary drawing. Boundaries. Oh my God. Heaven forbid that any of us of any gender should, should, should draw, not only draw those boundaries, but you know, be, be firm on them when we need to be and communicate them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's uh that's all that's a okay in our books. Right. (laughs) People. Right. So, yeah. So, so yeah, okay. So uh, we so we're gonna you know kind of do a little bit of a prescription. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think one prescription that we talked about with uh, with Marie um, was because you know people are asking us, is there something? How do I get over the hurt? 
how do I do there they want is there something I can do mm-hmm. and a lot of times our prescription is you know it may not be some matter so much a matter of what you do but the allowing of the process that you're going through Mm -hmm. but you can sometimes we also like to offer specific things that you can do so I think we actually alluded to earlier with Marie that you know part of part of the grief uh, in your letter is that it is an anniversary Mm -hmm. and that there was a specific tradition and so we just want you to know that you have the you have the power to um, celebrate that, I mean celebrate, that's an odd word, but on, honor that anniversary right. in whatever way feels right to you. Mm-hmm. And you may you might even have something planned out and the day of it could change. Right. You know, so allow, allow yourself. Yeah, be kind to yourself. Yeah, be kind. Yeah. Um, and that you've, and that you, if you, you know, you're a friend, maybe you're a wife, maybe you're a mother, you've, whether you realize it or not, you've got some traditions that you've established probably with other people in your life. And maybe you put a little extra into those or just just think about think about the fact that traditions that reflect how people love one another are still alive and well in your mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. so that's I guess that's how I would how I would what I would offer for Marie good, good. um I so I, th- I think that um Fran you know what I'd offer for you is that um sort of the prescription is that really be kind to yourself um that vulnerability often makes us stronger and without opening ourselves up a little bit we don't see who people really are you know that's true and so you learned a lot from how this guy treated you you probably learned a lot about yourself, about what you, what boundaries you will draw and what boundaries you'll sort of let people cross. And just like Sydney in, God, in Scream, I love that Sydney and Tatum beat the shit out of Ghostface. Yes. They beat him up. Yeah. And listen, you learned a lot from this guy and you can kick ass too if you need to. You, that is the, the final girl in you that like metaphorically kicking ass but also you know drawing boundaries you are not going to do this to me you are yep be kind to yourself because you're strong yep you are definitely strong and you don't have to be strong every minute i mean i love i think i think maybe if i could if we ended on one word it would be incremental ah um it's not a strength is not a a permanent state and Mm -hmm. solutions are not Instant and forever. No. Um, we just, we figure it out as we go along. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Tamara. Thank you, Lori. Uh, and we are closing out another episode as your dear, dear final, final girls. girls. Uh, stay alive, everybody. Yeah, stay, alive. <laughs> stay alive. Absolutely. Ha, 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 ha. Stay alive. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror. But that's all we are, people struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.